In the 14th century, Italian poet Dante Alighieri penned his masterpiece, The Divine Comedy. The epic poem tells the story of a lost pilgrim who is guided through hell to meet his beloved in heaven. This fantastic journey is also a coded allegory. Hidden in the symbolism is a much deeper story with a map of history that connects Dante's life with our own. This is Dante's history. Inferno, Canto V. Thus I descended out of the first circle, down to the second that less space begirds, and so much greater dole that goads to wailing. To sum up our tale so far, a lost pilgrim is being guided through the underworld by the ghost of the Roman poet Virgil. So far, they met a horde of spiritually neutral souls just beyond the gate of hell. Then they crossed the river of woe with the demon ferryman, Charon. Then in the first circle, Dante rests in a lovely garden with some of his heroes. The great scientific minds, poets, and philosophers, while not physically tortured, must exist with the knowledge of a better world they will never experience. Our exiled author is teaching us what he has learned from his intense study and from his passionate but unrequited love for his departed muse, Beatrice, whom he has designated the instigator of this holy pilgrimage. In this canto, our duo descend into the second circle of hell and meet the demon who sentences each soul to their appropriate circle for punishment. Virgil and Dante point out a few of the famous faces among the crowds of souls cursed to forever fly through the air. The pilgrim speaks with one of them, and her words leave him swooning. The first thing our pilgrim notices is that this circle is smaller than the last. The reader is left to visualize a downward sloping path that corkscrews around the abyss. As they descend, the sounds of anguish get louder. Very quickly, they come upon a horrible snarling demon, Minos. Each damned soul that stands before him is compelled to confess all their sins. Minos then wraps his lizard-like tail around himself. However many times it curls around him, that is the number circle the sinner is then hurled. Minos is probably best known from Greek mythology as the king of Crete an island located in the Mediterranean Sea. In the myth of the Minotaur, the evil king Minos forces the king of Athens to send him seven boys and seven girls. Minos would force the children to enter the labyrinth, a maze that contained a monstrous half-man, half-bull. The tale ends with the Greek hero Theseus slaying the monster, but not before seducing Minos' daughter. The Minotaur will appear later in this poem, when the pilgrim enters the seventh circle of hell. Thanks to the archaeologist Sir Arthur Evans, known as the father of Cretan archaeology, much has been learned about the once mythical Bronze Age civilization known today as the Minoans, or Aegean civilization. We now know that they were an advanced trading culture and the dominant political power of the Aegean Sea around 4,000 years ago. These people were thought to have been wiped out by volcanic activity around 1200 BC, but recent discoveries suggest that the Minoans may have existed well into the Iron Age. Their capital city, Knossos, 
contains what are believed to be the ruins of the palace of the real King Minos. Although the mythical labyrinth has never been found, the maze-like palace contains large murals depicting a popular and dangerous Minoan sport that involved leaping over a charging bull. One explanation for the Minotaur myth is that the monster is a representation of the horned god Baal, or Moloch, deity of the older Phoenician civilization. The children could have been sent as sacrifices to the Minoans in a ritual that involved an executioner donning a bull mask. Other non-Greek myths regarding Minos describe him as a just and fair ruler, so much so that after his death, the gods made him a judge of the dead. Historians believe the Minos from the myth of the Minotaur is actually the grandson of the first King Minos, the one who Dante is currently standing before. Dante combines the roles of Minos and his brother, Radamanthus, making Minos the sole judge and sentencer of the dead and damned. Just like the first demon they met, Charon, Minos recognizes that the pilgrim is not supposed to be here. He gives the pilgrim a somewhat unsettling warning. Look how thou enterest, and in whom thou trustest. Let not the portal's amplitude deceive thee. He's trying to make the pilgrim question his guide. Once again, Virgil informs the demon that they are on a journey made possible by divine intervention. As they continue on, the cries of despair grow louder and the pilgrim begins to sympathize. Beyond Minos, the duo come upon the main spectacle of the second circle of hell. Above them, a hurricane of souls are being tossed about endlessly by opposing winds. Dante uses the metaphor of birds to describe the plight of these damned. He compares them to starlings, propelled on by a cold wind. Sorrowful laments bellow from them, like a flock of cranes in flight. This hurricane is symbolic of the inner storm. This circle deals with the first of what are known as the carnal sins, sins relating to the body. It also marks the beginning of the set of circles known collectively as the area of incontinence. Unlike the damned souls of the lower regions of hell who committed acts of violence or fraud, these damned souls simply lacked self-control. They are driven by their appetites and not by reason. Because of this, they are tossed about endlessly and can never rest. The pilgrim asks Virgil to elaborate on these people whom the black air is punishing. Virgil gives us seven names or clues. The first name is Semiramis, the mythical queen of Assyria who succeeded her husband King Ninus she then supposedly legalized incest so she could marry her son. In Armenian legend, she's depicted as a homewrecker and harlot. Dante makes an odd reference here about the land of the Sultan, Egypt. Commentators believe the poet may be confusing the Babylon of the Middle East with the Babylon of Africa. The next person mentioned is described as she who killed herself for love. This is Dido, queen of Carthage, in Virgil's Aeneid, Dido falls in love with Aeneas, betraying a vow to her late husband. When Aeneas leaves her bound for Italy, Dido throws herself onto a funeral pyre. Aeneas sees her once more in the underworld, but her attention is now refocused on her husband. Next is Queen of Egypt, Cleopatra. 
She was the mistress to Caesar and Mark Anthony, an eventual enemy of Octavius, also known as Emperor Augustus. Next up is Helen, the famous cause of the Trojan War, and Achilles, whose desire for Polyxana led to his death at the hands of her brother Paris of Troy. Paris is also pointed out, along with Tristan, one of King Arthur's knights, who was killed by his uncle for coveting his wife. The poem says that Virgil then goes on to name more than a thousand more dames and cavaliers from antiquity, but the pilgrim is drawn to two of them in particular. The second half of this canto focuses on these two lovers. And I began, O poet, willingly, speak would I with those two who go together and seem upon the wind to be so light. Virgil invites the pilgrim to speak directly to the lovers as soon as they are near. When the winds bring the lovers close enough, he calls to them. In the third reference to birds, Dante compares the lovers to turtle doves, called onward by desire for their sweet nest. Dante will mention doves again in the next two cantiche. The name Dido is mentioned to help establish that these two lovers have a strong presence here. Their lightness could be because they're eternally bound to each other, making it easier for them to float on the winds of passion. One of the lovers speaks to the pilgrim. She begins by praising him, a rhetorical device used to gain his sympathy. She thanks him for offering pity to those who even God has forsaken. The air around Dante and Virgil is still enough to allow the damned soul to tell her tale. She begins with the first clue to her identity, the city she was born. It's located by the sea, where the Po descends. Po refers to the River Po, and the city is Ravenna, Italy. She follows with three tercets that each begin with the word love. The first, love that on gentle heart doth swiftly seize, is significant because it's Dante's. This lover is quoting a line from his work La Vita Nuova. This damned soul is blaming love for her current situation. She claims she was merely a lover in love with loving, enticed by the beauty of this man beside her. She says the person who put them here will be sent to Cana, the lowest part of hell, reserved for those who would kill their sibling. Her words leave the pilgrim contemplative. Virgil asks for his thoughts. The pilgrim notes how odd it is that so many pleasant thoughts could lead to such a sad fate. As he addresses the lovers again, the pilgrim does so by name. Finally, we learn the identity of these two. The woman's name is Francesca. Like Beatrice, Francesca is based on a real woman and a contemporary of Dante. She is also the only Christian woman who will appear in this version of hell. Francesca di Palenta was the daughter of Guido di Palenta, Lord of Ravenna. While in exile, Dante spent much of his time in Ravenna as a guest of Francesca's nephew. Her story is a bit of a tragic one. In an arranged marriage designed to settle a feud between warring families, Francesca was wed to the son of the Lord of Rimini, a deformed man by the name of 
Gianciotto Malinesta. But Francesca fell in love with Gianciotto's handsome younger brother, Paolo. Though Paolo was also married, he and Francesca carried out a long secret affair until Gianciotto found out and killed them both. It's Gianciotto who Francesca believes will be sent to the ninth circle of hell. She believes herself innocent, a victim even. Victim of her husband, victim of Paolo's beauty, of her circumstance, a victim of love. The pilgrim asks her to explain how she became a victim of love. Since Paolo is too busy weeping, Francesca recounts the events of the couple's first escapade. They were alone, reading a book together. It was the tale of Sir Lancelot. In the story, King Arthur's most trusted knight, Lancelot, has a secret affair with Queen Guinevere. Francesca finally blames the story for inspiring her real-life affair. She mentions the name Galeotto. This is a reference to Galahot, a character who appears in earlier versions of the tale and serves as an intermediary between the knight and the queen. As Francesca recalls, she and Paolo did not finish the story that day. Instead, they began a love affair that ended in both of them being stabbed to death. According to the legend, the two were buried together, which would explain why they are still bound in the afterlife. Dante's depiction of Francesca and Paolo would be the first, but not the last. The lovers would appear again in art and literature many more times in the following centuries. Francesca's tale and the sadness of weeping Paolo fills the pilgrim with such pity he swoons. By quoting Dante's words about love, she has given him insight into the mind of his reader. Surely this love that he felt for Beatrice, this connection approaching divine that he wrote about in La Vita Nova, surely this wasn't the same love that led these two to their eternal damnation. Lancelot's tale is meant to be a cautionary one, about a knight who betrayed his king and his fellow knights, only to end up a lonely hermit. In the end, Guinevere becomes a nun, and Lancelot requests to be buried beside his devoted friend, Galahad. Their love brings them only fleeting moments of happiness, at great cost to all around them. Francesca and Paolo might have learned that lesson had they bothered to finish the book. Love was not to blame for the fate of the lovers, or any of the damned in this circle. Their sin is lust. By abandoning reason as their guide, they give control to their bodily desires, and this lack of self-control leads to the pain and suffering of those around them and their own demise. The origin of this word desire comes from the Latin word for the stars, sidere, as opposed to the word consider, which involves a bringing together of things Desire implies a separation, a removal from something. To live with desire is to live with a longing, a return to something, like turtle doves longing for their nest. This canto ends with the pilgrim fainting again. In the next canto, he will wake up in the third circle of hell, where he'll meet the hungry three-headed guardian of this circle. Then Dante will meet another contemporary of his, a Florentine citizen nicknamed 
hog. Then the poet will go into the first of many rants about his birthplace, Florence. Next time on Dante's History. With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details.